yeah, it's astounding. I mean, I'm sure not to you guys, but to us, it was just astounding the amount of, you know, expertise and technology that just goes into, um, you know, getting food onto our plates. It was really, it was great. G'day and welcome to episode 24 of the Humans of Agriculture podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Lalee. For everyone who's joining for the first time, welcome aboard. And anyone who's coming back, thanks for being here. Today we're doing something a little bit different. We're chatting all things nutrition, and as a bonus, I thought I'd bring my sister Sass along, because last time I spoke with Steph Geddes, I got absolutely peppered with questions that I should have asked. So, if anything's not covered today, we'll blame Sass, and you can send through any questions to her. Amy Knight is a qualified nutritionist and dietitian with Nutrition Australia. Their work has been changing the lives of Australians for more than 40 years through education and information sharing. They are advocates for good nutrition and healthy eating, and they are spreading their messages far and wide to create healthier Australians. So today, we're going to chat about a few different things. As always, we'll find out a bit more about Amy, who she is, and what makes her tick. And then we're going to dive in to a few different topics. One of them is the way that health and nutrition messages are being spread. We're going to dispel some myths about frozen fruit and veggies. We're going to chat about supplements, and I might even make a reference to sheep and the importance of a healthy and balanced diet. We're also going to chat about when Amy went beyond the farm gate. Earlier this year, she met with farmers up in Mildura to understand more about how nutritious food is produced and complementing the full circle and the work that the nutritionists are doing right along the supply chain. One thing that really surprised me about this conversation as I was looking into it was that only 7% of Australian adults and 5% of Australian children meet the recommended daily guidelines for vegetable intake. And if each of us ate just half a cup more of veggies a day, we'd save the government $100 million a year on health expenditure. We'd put more money in farmers' pockets and ourselves would be healthier. It sounds too simple, but that's all it takes. Amy, how did you get involved in the nutrition world? In high school, was just always really interested in food and I suppose how it affects our body. Um, I thought at one stage actually I wanted to be an interior designer. I don't know how I got dietitian and interior designer because they're so different. Um, but after doing my um, work experience in year 10 at an interior designer's, came home and said to my parents, mm, that was really fun, but I think I do want to do nutrition. So, um, and from that point on, that's what I did. So I think it's just, I find it so interesting and there's just always more to learn. Um, I think it'll keep me busy for the rest of my career. So, um, and it's just, you know, so many different ways that we can help people. And you're like personally interested in health and nutrition. You're a bit of a blogger and a photographer. Does mm. that stuff keep you busy on the side? Yeah, a little bit. I like to do that because I think it's more of a creative, um, you know, kind of outlet in nutrition and dietetics. My, you know, day-to-day job is very based on the science, which I really love. But then I love to, you know, do that more kind of writing and yeah take some photos of what I'm eating and yeah it's a bit of fun and I was interested to see so like a, a bit of your background and one thing that really stood out was you did a volunteering piece with I think it was Diabetes Victoria and you did like a shopping uh, well, was a supermarket tour yeah and yeah I did that. yeah yeah tell us like more about that and kind of how that came about yeah so I did that when I was sort of fresh out of uni as a new grad and it was really fun it was just meeting with the group of people who were interested to learn more about nutrition and then we'd head off 
into, you know, Woolies or Coles and literally just walk around the supermarket and um, talk about label reading and kind of marketing and how to sort of, you know, I guess, figure out if products are healthy or not healthy and um, to debunk a lot of the myths around that. So, um, yeah, it was really nice. It's really, I guess, a really practical way to teach people about nutrition because obviously, you know, majority of people do their food shopping in a supermarket. So it's nice to really take them in there and, um, yeah, show them what to look for. It's amazing when you start to, like, if you take the time to look at what's on labels. And I know, like, I nearly make a bit of a game of it because, like, with alternative proteins and stuff coming more and more to the, like, forefront. But even, like, I've got mates who are pig farmers and, and whatnot. And, like, you actually start to look at, not just what's in a pack, but where it's actually come from. And like the country of origin stuff just in itself is so interesting. Yeah, it is. And I think that we've really seen a shift in consumers as well of them asking those questions and wanting to have that, you know, transparency with where their food's coming from, which I think is fantastic. So yeah, even in the five years that I've been a dietitian, we've, I've really noticed that we get a lot of questions about that now as opposed to necessarily the, health you know benefits of a food it's really about where has this come from and how has this ended up um in the supermarket and then on my plate so i think that's really exciting to see that trend kind of shifting and do you reckon like on that where people are looking for where foods come from do you think it's available to them easily enough or do you reckon that's an area which we can improve on yeah i no i don't think so i think that it's um i mean even as dietitians and nutritionists, our training fundamentally is, you know, if we're thinking of that kind of paddock to plate process, we know a lot about what happens after the plate. You know, once you eat a food, we can tell you a lot about how that's digested and broken down into individual nutrients and then, you know, what those nutrients do to the body. Um, but we know a lot less really about how food is, you know, produced or grown and that, that process ourselves. So I think, you know, certainly even consumers are kind of, it's more so, it's sort of just not that readily available. But I think that's really exciting. And I think that, um, you know, hopefully dietitians and nutritionists can play a big role in that education piece of sharing those messages with the general public. So I think we'll only see more of that, which is a really good thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think like what's really interesting is, so where we met last year at Global Table um, was the topics and conversations and actually we're starting to look at like this, ecosystem which kind of when we start to talk about health and nutrition for ourselves like we're one in ourselves. but like looking at how farming practices and the health of the soil then translates into the nutritional content of the food which then kind of ultimately leads into how we're feeling like mm -hmm. it's really exciting i think at just how it's all kind of blending and the conversation's really evolving yeah, I agree. And I think certainly in the last couple of years as well, we've seen a lot more of a uh, sort of focus on that planetary health diet, which is really looking at what is the diet that is good for humans, but also good for the planet. Um, and I think that, you know, our federal government have just announced a review of our Australian dietary guidelines in the next couple of years. So I think that we'll definitely see more of that sustainability, um, you know, really take centre stage. And I think that that's a really good thing. I think that's really needed. And so the guidelines, so it, that's just back, taking a step back. Nutrition Australia, um, when I think of you guys, it's about the food pyramid that mm. we've all kind of seen growing up. And so is that the guidelines which you're talking about there? 
So the, no, so the food pyramid is based on our Australian dietary guidelines, which are um, sort of produced by the government. And then Nutrition Australia has um, had the Healthy Eating Pyramid for, I think it was released maybe the first one in 1980 or 80, a long time ago. We're in our sixth um, iteration of the pyramid now. So the current one that we have was released in 2015, and that was in response to the current um, Australian guide, dietary guidelines that we have that were released in 2013. So, um, yeah, I suppose the pyramid has really always been about just making that information really easily accessible to people. It's a sort of, you know, a food selection model that, you know, I suppose just really demonstrates clearly where those food groups are and what we should um, be eating. Yeah. It's so interesting now with like what we're eating today and like the health repercussions kind of down the chain. And so like Australia, it's, um, and these are all your stats or ABS stats, which was around like two thirds of Australians are obese or overweight. And it's like the cost, like it's just so short sighted in terms of how people are thinking about like the relationship. I think we're like reactive as a society and we'll spend on health expenditure rather than thinking about spending more now in, what we're eating yeah absolutely and i think that um we know that if we can increase people's you know fruit and vegetable consumption not only is that good for our you know individual health but it is so beneficial in terms of yeah cost savings for the government in terms of healthcare costs but also that economic benefit to farmers and producers of fruits and vegetables so if we can get everybody eating more you know it's it's just a win-win all round we know that you know Nobody loses when we can get people eating more fresh produce. So Definitely. And I think that ties into well, which is our first kind of topic, which is about food and mood. And so when you're eating right, you feel better, you're more energetic, you're not as lethargic. Um, and so the first question I have on this actually came from Sarah on our Instagram. Well, the question is why sometimes when you crave comfort food, is it that when you actually have well-cooked and prepared food makes you feel so much better? Mm, yeah, it's really interesting. And the food and mood space, you know, it's, it's, you know, a trend that is here to stay. It's not something that's going to come and go like we see a lot of other um, food trends do. This is, you know, an emerging area of science that we are learning more and more about. And it's so exciting because I think, you know, it's great to have the focus be on how food makes us feel as opposed to, I think, so much of the focus with diet is about weight or you know, those types of things. So it's really exciting to have the emphasis on this. So, yeah, it's certainly that we're learning more that, you know, in terms of, I suppose, that message around you are what you eat and what you eat does impact so many different systems in the body. And particularly with um, food and mood and how our diet impacts our mental health, we're starting to understand more and more about the links between gut health and how we feel. So we know that if we have a healthy gut, which we know is, you know, a gut that has a diversity of good bacteria. Um, so often that's called, you know, referred to as the gut microbiome. So we know that if we have the diversity in the gut, um, we know that that's linked to so many systems in the body. So that's, you know, mental health, our immunity, um, you know, weight, just so many different systems. And the way that we get um, diversity in the gut is mainly through a variety of um, foods, first of all, but also really focusing on those plant-based foods. So fruits, vegetables, grains, um, nuts and seeds, all those types of things. So eating plenty of those. And we know that that is really linked to um, a healthy gut. 
Yeah, right. And so I'm going to have to put a disclaimer here. So for people who are listening, they'll be like, oh, why is there two female voices on the podcast? So my sister Sass is, and housemate is joining us today as well. And so Sass is very much a cook and right into... I love researching all about <laughs> nutrition. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm one of those like the trend followers, if you, if you put it like that. No, I love that. That's good. And so, yeah, mate, like just in terms of discussion around this, like people talking about health and nutrition, it's all over our social media channels, but mm. like are these influencers actually spruiking the right things when it comes to it? We can put a disclaimer here if you want, that this is your view. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, oh, look, I mean, yeah, some information that you see online is absolutely correct and really good. And, you know, there's a lot of people that are, you know, really good at just, you know, presenting nutrition information in really fun, creative ways, um, which, you know, we're all for. But unfortunately, there's the other side where there is a lot of, you know, misinformation or I guess, you know, information put forward in ways that's not really balanced. You know, there's a lot of focus on individual nutrients or individual foods or, you know, and that really does take away from that message of a balanced diet with lots of variety and sort of just, you know, including everything in the right amounts. So I think, you know, it is important to be wary of that and be conscious of where, you're getting your information about nutrition from and making sure that that is coming from somebody who's qualified to be making those statements. Um, so yeah, it is, it's a tricky one. Yeah. And on that, like the diet front where you've got your paleo, your Mediterranean, your et cetera, et cetera. Is there one that's better than another? Well, I think what's important to remember is, we, you know, the core food groups are all important. So any sort of diet that just tries to cut out an entire food group is not ideal. So um, certainly, you know, the Mediterranean diet is a great example of a diet that is, you know, has a lot of robust scientific evidence around it. And we know that that is associated with a lot of positive health benefits. And that is really focused on, you know, a lot of plant-based foods, a lot of fruits, vegetables, whole grains, nuts and seeds, but also, you know, small amounts of meats and dairy um, and healthy fats as well. So lots of extra virgin olive oil and avocado and things like that. Um, and, you know, those fundamentals about what is a healthy diet have really, you know, remained unchanged for a long time we certainly learn more about nutrition science and it's always evolving but you know those fundamentals of yeah those core food groups a lot of plant-based foods um yeah really haven't changed all that much yeah, it's yeah. more like the buzzwords everyone just adds in on top to like give it a hey it's nick here sheep farmer and rabobank regional client council member i'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community well-being and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives. Those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, Go to our website at www.rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. Whole different meaning. Yeah, and I think, you know, we always, everybody wants to know, like, what is that one thing? What's that, you know, 
that new sexy thing in nutrition that's going to have a lot of um, benefits and really change our health. And but it just doesn't, you know, it always just comes back to the basics. There is, you know, no one single superfood or one nutrient that is, you know, trumps the rest. It's really just that simple balanced diet um, that we should all be aiming for. Mm. And on that like superfoods piece, is that is it nearly a fad that's coming around them? Well, I think it's very clever marketing superfoods, you know, this idea that you can just eat, you know, a couple of superfoods and that will do everything, um, I think is really just a clever marketing piece, um, mm -hmm. you know, but the real superfoods are fresh foods, fresh whole foods, you know, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, those things, you know, that is superfoods, I suppose, if you really want to label something a superfood, we really just want to be you know, as you said at the start, Ollie, it's just those stats around how few people actually meet those recommended serves of um, fruit and vegetables and things like that. It's, you know, it's quite scary, really, when you really think about it. Mm. Is there any, like, anything that as you've been learning over, like, through uni and then over the last five years of practising, where you've just, like, been completely blown away when it, you're just like, holy crap, like, how in your face is that statistic or something like that i think it's actually what um worries me more it's just the i guess lack of connection to food that we see with so many people and sort of that dieting culture i think so many people you know know what a healthy diet is and know ideally what we should be eating you know we, we hear that all the time but i think yeah these different diets and fad diets and different messages about you know what we should be doing i think that confusion that people have inevitably because it is you know very confusing um you know i think that's what that's what really strikes me and worries me more is we just see so many people sort of yeah i guess just not enjoying their food and not having that positive connection to it and it just becomes you know, I think just thinking of food solely as fuel, you know, that probably worries me more than anything else. Yeah. And it can be so overwhelming. Like for every one person that says do this, there's that that other voice that contradicts and is like, no, you should be doing it this way. That I think a lot of people just get so confused. They just give up and go for the easiest alternative that they know. Yeah, absolutely. No, there certainly is a lot of, you know, conflicting information and misinformation. So it's... um. You know, it can be, yeah, a confusing landscape, but I think that's why just always keeping in mind those key fundamentals when you're sort of faced with any new fad or, um, you know, those clever marketing tricks around food, just keeping that in mind, that's our, that's our biggest um, sort of recommendation. Yeah. Yeah, because it's almost become like if it's not a superfood, it's not healthy. So people tend to think like, oh, when I go to the supermarket, I have to spend so much money, like in the health food aisle, where you could just go to the fruit and veg section, get the exact same thing. Like a bag of carrots could be $4 for a kilo. You don't need to go buying, you know, spirulina for $15 for a packet. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Just back to those basics of, you know, whole foods. Absolutely. I was listening to a podcast yesterday um, and it was by a consumer psychologist and it was really interesting because this is nearly like how I feel we approach, like it's basically just, I think, our society. But he was saying that when he's presented with facts, like his first instinct is to discredit the facts rather than accept them. And so when he gets presented them, he'll always go and research to try and like disprove what someone has told him. Is that sometimes he gets caught up, but he said like nowadays that you can find just as much like evidence to 
counter an argument as there is kind of for it. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? No, I think it is, you know, it's important to not just take every nutrition message, you know, that you hear online or on social media um, as gospel. It is important to have that lens of, you know, where has this come from and is this um, credible advice? Absolutely. And so with Nutrition Australia, you got, so when we're looking at food and mood, we, mm. I think like mental health specifically kind of comes front of mind. And so like the Black Dog Institute have said that, it's something like one in five Australians will suffer um, poor mental health or yeah, mental health illnesses every year. And so like, are you guys working alongside those types of organisations as well? Um, so we, I suppose, do a lot of work around, you know, with the general public of getting those good evidence-based nutrition messages um, out. So we do a lot of work with workplaces and a lot of corporate, you know, health and wellness strategies to, you know, I guess, yeah, have that information be readily accessible. And we do a lot of sort of myth busting sessions and, um, you know, yeah, certainly work quite closely with all those different organisations to ensure that we've got the most up-to-date information because it's such exciting sort of emerging fields of research that there's always new things to learn but um yeah our work is really centered around you know healthy eating for all australians and how can we best get those messages out um and support that in you know many different groups and um try and reach everyone yeah and this might be a bit of a riddle because i'm trying to work it out in my own head but like is it is there an issue with eating like too much of the wrong thing or not enough of the right? Like, is there mm. a balance there? I don't even know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I, I do get what you mean. Cause I think it's definitely um, often a bit of both. Often we can see that an intake of foods that are very highly processed or, you know, just those things that we don't want to be eating too much of that does often displace an intake of the right types of foods or of those, you know, core foods, those whole foods. So yeah, it's often, it's, um, a bit of a juggling act, but we certainly like to focus more on what people should eat as opposed to what you shouldn't eat. I think it's nice to take that line and it's a bit more of a positive approach um, because it's certainly not about being perfect and it's not about never having those foods or never having those indulgences. That's not healthy either. Um, but it's just how can we support people to really strike that balance, that sort of, you know, that 80-20 balance is sort of one of the oldest in the book, but it really is just a good way of summarising that, you know, ideally 80% of the time we'd be eating those whole foods that are based on the core food groups, you know, sort of in those right amounts. And then, of course, you know, 20% of the time, some treats here or there is absolutely fine as well. A little bit of chalky on the couch. Yeah, <laughs> we all do that. I mean, yeah. So it's all really like about perspective, isn't it? Like you think like, oh, rather than what I can't eat and have to miss out on, you just think, like concentrate more on what you can eat and go from there. Yeah. And I think as well, it's, you know, half the battle is just how can we make these foods really, you know, exciting and delicious so that you don't feel like it's any sort of um, sacrifice or like you're missing anything. I think no one wants to eat, you know, a plate of just steamed veggies. So it's really about mm. teaching people what can you do? Like if you cook it with some extra virgin olive oil and you add herbs and spices and you put, you know, a sprinkle of nuts on top or whatever it is, just to make it more exciting and interesting and, you know, delicious. I think that making um, vegetables and fresh produce the hero is a really big thing as opposed to I think we often think of it as just the side dish or the thing that we, you know, include with the main meal, um, but I think really taking the focus back onto um, those foods is really important. 
Yeah, because in Australia, it's typically like, you know, your meat and three veg, like the meat's the star, then you just have your three on the side where it really should be the opposite, you know, your three veg with some meat. Yeah, exactly. And I think as well, you know, it's, I think nutrition is often thought of as an all or nothing. So if you're going Mm. to increase the amount of foods that you're eating that are plant-based, you have to, you know, it's sort of, you've got to go all the way to that extreme and cut meat out or whatever it is, but that's not at all the case. You know, it's not about you know, going to either either side of extremes. It's really about just small changes that you can make to maybe include a few more plant-based foods. Um, but also we know that those foods such as meats and dairy are really important as well. So it's really just about that balance. Yeah, definitely. And I think like also one thing when I had Steph Getty, she's a nutritionist, she was on the podcast, take a stab here, maybe like episode 11 maybe probably got that wrong anyway um we were chatting about like how dieting becomes obsessive and like i've seen it firsthand with friends and like yes they're absolutely they're so physically fit but in terms of like their mental health and mental wellness which is exactly what we're talking about here like they won't won't come out and socialize or if they do they kind of bring their own meals and then like the whole the amazing thing about food and is it's about sitting down and sharing something and it's the conversations that it brings out. It's, it's a real cultural piece. And it's like, yes, you might be physically healthy, but man, when it comes to actual balance, it's so out of whack. It stops being about enjoyment, doesn't it? And you start breaking it all down and yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as well, the other thing is, is that even sustainable? I think that if you feel like, yeah, it's a certain way of eating is tricky or that you're missing out on things or as you said, that it's, you know, compromising your ability to socialise. That's not, it could be the healthiest diet in the world, but if you can't keep that up for your entire life, then it's, you know, that's not really solving anything. So it's really about, yeah, balance of all things and and absolutely being able to have that connection with your food and enjoy meal times with family and friends and, you know, just really enjoy that whole experience. Mm, definitely. I don't know. Sas can cut this out if we want. With like some of the like fitness things that you've done mm. from your perspective, like you did the 12 week challenges and stuff like. Yeah. I'm definitely a zero hundred person. Like you were saying <laughs> before, like I've done the full, like cut everything, like yeah. train all the time, eat really healthy. And yeah, it's like, as you said, it's just not sustainable. You get to the point where you're just, you finish one meal and then you're like, oh, I had this. So then the next meal like this and yeah, you stop. Yeah. You stop enjoying your food and I love food. So yeah, it didn't last long for me. Yeah, that's it. No, but I think it's hard because, you know, if you often, if you want to make a change, you want to just make it and do this and, you know, sort of get to the, you know, reach the goal. But um, yeah, I think absolutely it's got to be um, really that holistic approach and just something that, you know, you think is going to fit your lifestyle long-term. And it's really reflective of society, I think, in that we're really like time, time pressure. So everyone looks for that short-term fix or like how quickly can you get there? Um, That it's like a lot of vitamins and supplements now. Everyone thinks like, oh, that's like the quickest way to being healthy. And yeah, it's not, it's like you said, it's that balanced diet. Yeah. And I think, you know, Certainly, as dietitians, it's really one of our key messages is food first. We really like, we really want to see people, you know, before they get to supplements or anything like that, trying to sort of get as much as they can through diet alone. Um, Because, yeah, certainly supplements is not something that we'd want to be relying on, you know, long term, unless, of course, you have um, a real need that's been identified with, 
your medical and health professionals. But yeah, it's certainly not the shortcuts or the magic magic pills that they're marketed to be. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I know like I'm using sheep as an example here. And so like back when I was farming, we'd give them mineral licks or like vitamin licks or um, like a drench. And in that would have a certain kind of mineral, which would boost them. But these were all like temporary fixes. It was absolutely about a supplement like then and there. And, and it was generally during times of like when they were going to lamb or like increased stress. And so it was like very specific. Whereas I think like what you were saying there, Sass, is like, we as a society are looking at supplements as just the norm. And so it's not a, like supplements, not even the right word. Yeah, that's it. And I mean, I think, you know, it's not a case of more is better. There's many supplements that can really cause serious problems if you have, you know, too many of those. So I think that's the other thing is it's really important not to self-diagnose the need for a supplement. And of course, if you think that you might, your diet might be lacking in something or, you know, there might be some sort of deficiency issue there, then absolutely go and have that investigated and, you know, see a dietitian one-to-one as well. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not something that we want to be just, you know, doing routinely and supplements are expensive. So you don't want to be taking these things unless you really do need them and they're going to help you. And there might be changes to diet or introducing different foods that could also, you know, help. So, um, yeah, I think it's important that we don't rely on those too much. Definitely. And one thing you said there, like the self-diagnosing that a lot of people do, have you found like that's, I guess, with the more information we all have now, like everyone sort of becomes, oh, sorry, a self-diagnosed like expert in what nutrition, what they think they should be eating. Has that, do you think is quite a problem now with all the self-diagnosing? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, and it just comes back to that piece around where are people getting their information. Um, You know, I always think it's such a positive thing when people do do their own research and really take an interest and want to proactively, you know, improve their health. That's a great thing, but it's just making sure that the information that you're taking in and making decisions based on is, is from, you know, a credible source. And nutrition science is so ever-changing and evolving that, it, um, you know, can seem that it's, yeah, just there's something different every week and, you know, different things to try. So that's why, yeah, I think just making sure that either you see a qualified nutritionist or dietitian, you know, one-to-one to really get that tailored advice um, or just make sure that you're, reading online um, from credible sources because, yeah, absolutely, it's um, easy to think you think we know what we should be doing or to self-diagnose what might be going on, but often it can be um, something completely out, completely different. Yeah. And I think so that, that ties really nicely into where Sash was saying we're all really time poor. Well, I don't know if we're really time poor anymore because we seem to have more <laughs> time. We're home all the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but around, yeah, so COVID now, holy moly, it's thrown a curveball in, in terms of around like immunity and how people are shopping and cooking and everything. Um, it's yet changed our lives, but what, what have you guys seen or what kind of has been highlighted around the nutritional aspects during COVID? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? It's definitely um, crazy times. I think that there's definitely been both, you know, positives that we've seen, but also negatives. I think the positives have been that, yeah, as you say, we do, you know, in theory, have more time um, and more time at home. So there's been a real switch from previously where, you know, so much of our food intake would have been out of the home. Now we're really seeing that shift back to eating in the home um, and that focus on family meals and actually sitting down and enjoying 
your food and cooking and, and reconnecting um, with that and trying new recipes and all of those things. You know, I think we've all seen like the banana bread trending on social media. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The cheese and bacon loaf we tried yesterday. Yeah. That was oh, nice. average. Yeah. Uh, it wasn't my best. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't my best. <laughs> Do you take this sort of chief taste tester role, Ollie, it sounds like? Yeah, yeah, I gave it a bit of a whirl. I was yeah. trying to be polite, but when yeah. Sass said it, when Sass was like, I know it's not good, yeah. I was like, yeah, no, it's not. Oh, we've all been there. I made a batch of um, red velvet, but they were made with beetroot cupcakes once for my cousins, and this would have been about five or six years ago, but I still, like, I don't think I'm ever going to live that down because they were just <laughs> And they remind me of it frequently. Um, but you know, it's, I think it's really good to see that people are yeah back in the kitchen and experimenting and trying different things. Um, but on, unfortunately, I think on the opposite end, we've seen, you know, a lot more people suffering from food insecurity, which is just so heartbreaking to see. So whether that's, you know, because they're, you know, experiencing some kind of financial hardship as a result of COVID, you know, we know that so many people are being made redundant so that's really adding um, stress to families and households but also you know access I think that the panic buying and just mm. this you know stress that people have of thinking that we need to be stockpiling and and you know keeping a lot of food I think that that has also meant that people are um, you know they have ingredients that they've never cooked with before or wouldn't usually buy because it was all that was at the shop. So it's, um, you know, sometimes as well, people just don't know what to do with those and sort of how to make a balanced meal out of those. And unfortunately, I think as well, that's leading into quite a bit of food waste because people just did panic and buy a lot of food and now they don't know what to do with it and it's sitting in their pantry or fridge. And um, so I think it's been sort of, yeah, a, two extremes of, of some positives, but definitely... Um, um, negatives but um, yeah, hopefully we'll see improvements with those things absolutely and so around like the when it comes to purchasing and so we're talking about obviously food waste so fresh produce has a massive part to play in that is there when it comes to frozen veggies do they lose nutrients or a lot of nutrients I love this question because it's one of the greatest nutrition myths that I personally love debunking because no, they don't, you know, there's actually been some evidence to show that frozen fruit and veg retain high levels of vitamins and minerals because they're usually frozen closer to harvest as opposed to fresh produce that might sit um, on the supermarket shelves for some time. So um, no, frozen fruits and veggies are really great to have on hand and a good, just versatile staple ingredient that you can use when you don't have fresh um, produce on hand. So no, go for it there. Cool. There you go. Buy the farm guy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, you, earlier this year, you did a bit of a trip. So right at the start of this conversation, we're talking about kind of the ecosystem of food basically as a whole production and how it flows through so you got to go out and check out Mildura so the big um yeah big growing region of Victoria yeah I did yeah so Nutrition Australia we do um quite a bit of work with different horticultural industries so particularly at the moment with the Australian extra virgin olive oil and Australian almond industries um which is great so I work um quite closely with Australian almonds and we um yeah, deliver a project focused around, it's focused on their um, health professionals program. So in partnership with Hort Innovation as well. And we've been, you know, that project's been running for a couple of years now and it's really focused on 
um, making sure that we have sort of the latest evidence and the latest science, you know, at the ready for health professionals to share with their clients. So it would be focused on things like, you know, the benefits of eating almonds for things like heart health and diabetes and weight management and things like that. Um, but then, you know, more recently, we really um, started to incorporate, um, yeah, that, I guess, paddy to plate or orchard to plate um, process, as we like to say in the case of almonds, um, because we just saw that, you know, need there and that want for that knowledge, not only from dietitians and nutritionists, but it was because they were getting questions as well from their clients. So it's really fantastic to see that. So, yeah, we actually, um, early March, it feels like ages ago now, but um, it was only March. Um, we were really lucky we got to take a group of dietitians out to, we flew everybody into Mildura, um, and travelled around and visited um, almond orchards in Victoria and then across into South Australia as well. And it was just, it was such a great trip. It was just fascinating. I think there's nothing like actually being able to go and see it yourself. Um, and we all just learnt so much. It was just, you know, it's just, yeah, it's astounding. I mean, I'm sure not to you guys, but to us it was just astounding the amount of, you know, expertise and technology that just goes into, um, you know, getting food onto our plates. It was really, it was great. And how, like, so the farmers speak, I'll say, a, a language, which is all about production. And, and when you guys kind of joined to the table, were they really excited when it came to you guys speaking about the passion of, yeah, that kind of consumer end of the supply chain? Well, I think first and foremost, the people we met, you know, the almond growers that we met were just some of the most lovely people, honestly. They were so welcoming and so happy to share their knowledge with us. And, you know, one grower that we met literally invited us into his home and we stood around his kitchen while he talked about how he, you know, the process on his orchards. And it was just so, like, it was just fantastic to be able to see that and share their passion and yeah they were so um you know yeah generous with their time and happy to share that with us and um yeah i think it was interesting though because i must say i think maybe they assumed a level of baseline knowledge that we just didn't necessarily have i think i left that trip thinking wow i like there is just so much for us to learn here um you know the the software that goes into making sure that the almond trees get the exact right amount of water down to the mill and just that we were shown all these graphs of you know water usage and whilst absolutely incredible and so fascinating I think there were certainly parts of it that probably just went straight over our heads but I think that's really exciting and I think that that just highlights um, the amount that we can learn and sort of um, you know share knowledge with each other and I think that you know in general dietitians I think most of us go into it because we love food and we love people. And I think that that's so aligned to people who obviously work, you know, in agriculture and produce food. So I think that, um, yeah, hopefully there'll be a lot more opportunities for us to do that in the future. And we were going to do a second trip actually at around this time, but we've had to switch to an online event, um, which is coming up in a couple of weeks where we're going to try and sort of, I guess, bring as much of, that trip um to the online space as we can and everybody's going to get a, like samples of almonds sent out to them of different varieties because even yes. something as simple as that we didn't know i didn't know that there were different varieties of almonds so it's really just you know so exciting to be able to share those with share those messages with um with people and yeah try and get it out there more so when i just before i was looking at um it popped up 
from Gemma at Hort Innovations. It was on mm-hmm. LinkedIn. Anyway, so I quickly signed up. So second of September, I think it is, or thereabouts. But I'm pretty excited now if we get a little um, <laughs> trial pack. <laughs> you do, you do. Yeah, you'll have to let us know what you think. Um, yeah. Yeah, but no, it'll be really exciting. And so um, Nutrition Australia as well, which is talking about, I suppose, that collaboration and that shared knowledge and understanding you guys are part of the food or have you started the food and veggie or vegetable consortium yeah yeah absolutely so yeah the fruit and vegetable consortium has been sort of um up and running for a while now and it's really i suppose come out of the idea of just wanting to really minimize that duplication of effort and pull together resources i think that you know if we can band together and have key organizations across different industries really you know pulling together to you know, um, think about how we can address this issue of just massive underconsumption of vegetables. You know, that's mm. a really positive thing. And, you know, we know that it has really strong benefits, obviously for the health of individuals, but yeah, it's really around that, you know, cost savings for the government and also the benefits to the farmers. So it's, um, yeah, a really exciting piece of work that Nutrition Australia is really happy to lead. And um, I think that it's going to just only go from strength to strength. Yeah. Well, the thing, like, as I just had a, a quick look at it before, it was that if every Australian just ate half a cup more of fruit or veggies a day, it would save the government $100 million on government expenditure a year. And yeah. over a 10-year period, it will give farmers, like, a billion dollars more in their pocket. I know. Isn't that crazy? It's just, yeah, no one, it's just a win-win-win. I mean, it's yeah. as simple as that. Um, yeah. So I think if the more we can do in that space, um, yeah, the better. And that's something that Nutrition Australia really tries to drive. And in addition to that, we do some um, projects and initiatives really focused on particularly on um, children's consumption of vegetables because we know that if we can build those habits early um, in those early years, we're much more likely to see that that stays and that eventually those children become adults who, you know, um, are already in that habit of consuming more vegetables. So I think that's really important as well to think of it of over the lifespan of how we can build those habits. Mm. And on that, like, you know how um, Coles and Woolies, I don't know which one, one of them has sort of started that kids program with increasing their fruit and veg. Like when you go into the store, they can get the apples for free. Um, how important do you think the buy-in from the supermarkets are in terms of increasing fruit and veg with kids and adults? Mm. Oh, I think it's huge because, you know, that is where majority of people do their grocery shopping and get their, um, you know, their fruit and veggies from and all their other um, foods. So I think, yeah, absolutely. And I think that we're starting to see a lot more of that, a lot more emphasis on that, which is really important. And, you know, yeah, I think it's fantastic that the supermarkets are also showing us more transparency and really highlighting where their produce um, comes from. And I think that that's great for kids to see. You know, that's one of our number one recommendations when we're talking to parents about, you know, they so often ask us about, eating in kids and how they can actually get kids to eat veggies and we know that if you involve children in the process and even if it's you know a couple of pots of herbs at home they just often get so excited to see that and go and pick it and then you know help with the meal preparation and that sort of entire process so I think yeah the earlier we can really start getting those messages across and build that connection with food um, the better. Yeah, I think like the more included you are, like you said, like the buy-in um, and just the interest increases so much more. Like even just cooking for ourselves now more because we're at home all the time, you really enjoy it and appreciate it more when you like more invest, sorry, keep hitting the table, more invested <laughs> in it. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why it's so nice. We, you know, we encourage people as well to shop at farmers markets when you can, or at least now, you know, get a box delivered of different fruits and veggies because, you know, that's just so beneficial in so many different ways because not only are you supporting local farmers and local producers, but you're getting produce that's seasonal. Um, but it's also a really great way to increase food variety um, in your diet. You know, I think we all are creatures of habit and we'll go into the supermarket and buy the same selection of, you know, fruit and veg. But if you're getting it delivered in a box like that, you're getting things that you wouldn't usually buy or sometimes you don't even know what it is. So you've got to then research it and figure it out and find a recipe. So I think all those things are, you know, make it fun and keep um, keeps it interesting as well. Absolutely. Awesome. Mm. I've got another a random question now. As a like a dietitian and a nutritionist, do you get asked all the time by people like, "Oh, well, what's your diet or what do you eat?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I am the biggest. Like, I love to tell people that we are. I am not the food police, so my diet is by no means this perfect. You know, because that does not exist. That's not actually a healthy diet. I think to be, um, you know, a hundred percent of the time you know, really quite regimented and just sticking to certain foods. So, no, I, you know, love chocolate and ice cream and all those things just as much as anyone else. But it's just about um, when we're having those, how often, why are we actually just genuinely wanting that food or are we stressed or anxious or, you know, um, mm. have you had enough to drink? Are you actually dehydrated? So it's, you know, just trying to think or take that holistic approach Um and really just, yeah, think about it like that. But no, that is a question that we get a lot. <laughs> what we eat, what we, you know, you go out for dinner with people and they're always looking over and, you know, seeing what you're doing. You bump into people in the supermarket and you can see just one eye like into your basket or trolley. Um, but that's just part of the job. I like it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks a lot for joining us today, Amy. I reckon, yeah, it's been an awesome combo chatting all kinds of things. And I think, like from my perspective, it's just it's just like being more inquisitive about what we're eating and how it's affecting us, but also like that bigger picture as well. So yeah, no, thanks for having me. And as you know, Ollie, I'm a big fan of the podcast. Listen to it every week, and I find myself learning so much. So I think yeah, the more that we can learn and um, work together, the better. Yeah. Well, real question: Will you listen to yourself when it comes out or not? <laughs> oh, probably not. Does anybody like the sound of their own voice? I don't oh, know. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's the best thing about asking the questions is you don't, you just kind of like skip through that part and then you just listen to them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, that's it for another week. Episode 24. These are absolutely flying by. I hope everyone managed to get something out of that. I think for me, I just find some of those stats as I was researching it just so interesting. And so I think we might have to do a bit of a challenge around everyone just eating half a cup more of veggies a day. In the meantime, I've got a few ideas I'm sitting on. If anyone's interested in sharing this story on one of our photo stories on Instagram, um, it's only literally a paragraph. We can now do it over the phone, which makes it super easy. You don't have to write anything. We'll have a quick 10 minute chat and we can tick it off, share your story, because with a goal of 10,000 stories, I need absolutely anyone and everyone who loves agriculture and everything about it to share their story. That simple. Look after yourself, stay safe and stay sane. I look forward to joining you again next week. Cheers.